0: that we're going to finish up today. And we're, we're kind of focused in on, I would say, easily two-thirds of the book just focused in on describing the make-believer. What's going on in the life of the make-believer? What's happening? What, what are the tendencies? What are the issues? And, and here's the reality that, that we have to understand, when we, especially when we come to a book like this, that as we're looking at the book of Jude, the book of Jude is not a flashlight. That means I don't pick up the book of Jude and shine it on people and say, Are you a make-believer? You? Is it you? What? Looking at the descriptions. You get what I'm saying? The book of Jude's a mirror. In fact, the Bible as a whole is a mirror. It's designed for me to look into and to say, Is this me? Right? Because I'm the one who knows, you know, what's happening inside of me. I able to answer all those and we'll talk a little bit about that as we kind of delve into the depths of what Jude lays out for us. But we want to be able to look into the mirror of Jude and we want to do what the scripture tells us to do. The scripture over and over again tells us, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. See if you're playing games, right? If you're just marking time, if you're, I mean, there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways people use Church, right? Church doesn't save anybody. Jesus Christ saves. But there's a lot of ways people use church. Church can be a, a kind of a, a social contract, right? This is where I come, I meet people, it's helpful for my business, whatever things that we can use church for. But that, that has nothing to do with having a relationship, desiring to know the only true God, Jesus Christ, His Son, our Saviour. And so those are those are kind of different things. And it's possible, right? In fact, what Jude told us in the beginning is these people have crept in. So they're in every church. And when I, at least for me, when I come to Jude, I want to know, I want to examine myself, am I being a pretender, a make-believer, or am I real? And, you know, the worst kind of deception is self-deception, right? And... That's so easy for us as human beings to fall into. So, you know, we want to we gaze into the mirror that Jude presents us with. So, he, he, he kind of laid out to us the ideas, whatever the specifics uh, that brought Jude's writing. There were people who were walking in sexual immorality, utilizing the grace of God, you know, the God will forgive me, uh, I can do whatever I want kind of mindset. Uh, They're utilizing that for a license, right? The grace of God is a license for sin. And scripture nowhere tells us that we can do that. The grace of God is not to be trampled. So he talked about the judgment of God is something that can be anticipated. Romans tells us that when we walk in disobedience, we are storing up wrath. We become children of wrath. And he says, I don't want you to be children of wrath. I want you to be children of the light. Meaning, who you follow? What does your walk look like? Does your walk look like Jesus? He's the measure, right? The measure's not Jackie. The measure's not your neighbor. The measure is Christ. He's the standard up to which we're trying to, to live our lives. So we want to walk in light. So there's never a time, no matter what's going on, right? No matter what someone else has done that justifies me being able to walk into darkness for a while right well you how many times do our arguments start with that you you did you made me you if i had a nickel for every time i told my wife it's your fault i'm mad <laughs> just so you know it's nowhere in the bible that that gives you a pass if you if you get angry the bible says be angry and don't sin but you lose your self control that's, that's on you right so we don't have a we don't have an excuse to come out of The light and walk in the darkness. But we do sometimes, right? And when we do, there's no automatic pass. There's no automatic pass where God just says, okay, well, don't worry about it. I have already forgiven you unless we are repentant. Do you understand? So when we are repentant, we have the heart like David. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. When we have that heart like David, then God will never deny us forgiveness. Right, But it, it is predicated on our willingness to repent. David said, if there was an offering I would give, I, I I would give it. But there is no offering for murder. Right? You read the first five books of the Bible. So, no, you couldn't, you couldn't go kill somebody and bring a lamb to sacrifice and be forgiven. There's no, there was no offering to give for adultery. You commit adultery, there's no offering. That's what David's saying. Uh, there's no offering. I can't go... I can't go get atonement by doing something. So what did he do? He stood before God with a broken heart. And asked God for forgiveness. And what did God respond with? He forgave him. Right? So we get kind of the idea. This is is the thing that we... This is the attitude that we want to have. We don't want to come out of the light and walk in the darkness. And if we are real, if we're real, okay? If we're not fake. If we're fake... We'll do what the Pharisees did. We'll paint the outside even though the inside's full of dead men's bones. We'll look good on the outside, We'll do all the right things. We'll try to say all the right things, but we've not addressed the reality of our heart. Remember again, when Jesus was talking to the, or Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees who were saying, "Hey, man, you're, 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 your disciples, they're dirty. they just ate with their hands not washed. Jesus said, "You know, eating with your hands unwashed doesn't make you dirty." It's already in you. That's what Jesus says. What makes a man defiled springs out of his heart. So we have to address the inner man, right? The inner man. Now the outer man will follow, but we have to address the inner man. And that is where we need Jesus Christ and the ability to be real before God and to live a life willing to, to walk in repentance. But the proud won't do that. The proud will say, I don't have anything to repent for. It always scares me when people say that. Sure you do. I want to have a heart like David. I want to be able to weep over my sin, my failure. Because that's what made David a man after God's own heart. So he's saying to the make-believers as he's writing this out, he's saying, look, there's judgment for that. You can't pretend your way to heaven. You can't fake it till you make it. Right? It's, it's, it's either real or it's not. And the only one who knows, who can know, is you. I can't know. I can't look at you and say, oh my gosh, you know, look at all these things in their life. Because the same, same things I see in your life are in my life. The difference is an attitude of repentance, right? We, wanna, we want to make sure we're being real. So he begins this morning. And he's looking at all those illustrations in verse 8. He says, yet in like manner to these people also, the angels that were judged, Sodom and Gomorrah, the the unbelievers that came out of, of Egypt with the children of Israel. Now he's saying, these make believers, these people, yet in like manner, like these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious one. So, so there's several things here. One thing is, he, he, he predicates all these things that we're gonna look at on this. They're relying on their dreams. One of the things that we try to talk about a lot here at Calvary Chapel Buell is the fact that the Word of God is a final arbiter. But, but sometimes, especially in our world today, you know, and a lot of the attitudes that people have about social justice warriors, right, is that, is that I'm relying on how that feels and that's like relying on your dreams it's it is ethereal something that's ethereal is not solid so i can't i can't hold on to it so relying on their dreams relying on on nothing that's stable or solid they they are defiling their flesh in other words there are people within the church today that would say yeah, you know what? It doesn't really matter. All these things, you know, this was all part of a deal, you know, two thousand years ago. It, it has no bearing on today, so it doesn't matter what, what the Bible says about A, B, C, or D. Those things don't don't relate. So, so I can live. We can do whatever we want. Well, you can. You are free to do whatever you want, but you can't do whatever you want and say I'm following Jesus. It doesn't. He's not. He's not going that way. He's not walking in that direction. So relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh. They defile the flesh. And then when someone comes to them and says, Hey, no, this this is not okay. This lifestyle, these life choices that you're making, this road that you're on, this is not okay. And the reality is... When that is done, when we're following God's word out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're using the word of God to try to correct or rebuke, the Bible says that a fool won't receive correction. They won't hear. They won't listen. They're too busy making noise. And so when you come and try to present that, the next thing takes place. They reject authority. Well, what does that have to say to me now? I remember... Well, oh, it's been several years ago now, probably eight years ago, one of the, one of the candidates that was running for president just mo- was mocking the Bible and how crazy the idea is that you would allow the Bible to, to govern your choices in life because after all, the Bible says, you know, these things that he pull out of context and, and throw out there and you would never want to do that. So, so we can't let something that's archaic guide us. One of the things about make-believers, and this same particular candidate said he was a Christian. So, you know, I can't always connect those dots, right? You can say you're anything. You know, I could tell you I'm, uh, you know, Mr. Universe, but 30 seconds, seconds—oh, I won't take 30, three seconds of looking at me, you'll go, yeah, no. <laughs> no, that's a, the, the, the biggest part of me is not where it's supposed to be, Right? It's supposed to be all spread out in other places. But just because you say you're something doesn't make you something. Right? I mean, truth is what corresponds to reality. That's a correspondence theory of truth. So how can something be true if it's not real? Right. Doesn't that make sense? But the, but the reality is that they... They were living a life, they live a life defiling the flesh, choosing to say, well, that stuff doesn't really matter. It, they reject the authority. That has no authority over me. Or the government has no authority over me. And one of the scariest things people can say today, regardless of where you land on the spectrum, is that's not my president. Well, there was a long time ago we fought over stuff like that. And a whole lot of people died. And if you think that's not a possible reality, that's just crazy. What happens if enough people do that? But usually that's called rebellion, and it leads to war. Those are scary things, right, to say about they're rejecting authority. You know, I don't always like the presidents. And I've been alive 55 years. I, I think there was one I liked. And so the odds are I'm probably not going to like, you know, the majority, but they're still my president. When I joined the Marine Corps, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution against all enemies, foreign or domestic. And and part of that is accepting the authority above me. Now, unless he does something, the person in charge does something in opposition to the Constitution, then, then we have a problem. But otherwise, we're not supposed to reject authority. And part of the thing, right, in, going, in, in growing is learning to respect authority. One of the mistakes we make as parents is teaching our children to reject authority. How do we teach them to reject authority? Well, the simplest ways is when they're in school and the teacher does something and you don't like it and you come lambast the teacher over something that your kid did and you've taught the kid to reject authority. Now, I'm not saying if something's wrong, we don't stand up for what's right, but you've got to do it in a way that doesn't teach our kids. And then you wonder why kids in school won't listen to the teacher. And teachers are spending all their time having to try to corral a bunch of kids. Right? We want to. We don't want to be people who reject authority. And, and so, <clears throat> when we reject authority in the little things, don't you think that grows? Then eventually we reject authority of... Of the police. And then eventually reject the authority of the government. And, and it just grows and grows and grows. And so we don't, want, we don't want to walk in these ways. Relying on the ethereal. Things we can't touch. They defile the flesh. And they reject authority. They won't hear uh, the truth. And then the, the last thing. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now the glorious ones is probably a reference to the angels. And the idea is that the angels, probably specifically in the book of Jude, the scripture declares to us that, that the law was delivered through the ministry of angels. So God comes, he speaks the Ten Commandments, the angels were involved in the process, and the idea is, well, blaspheming the angels. Something that, that is obviously um, greater than us. Now you can say, well it's not angels, it can be anybody in authority, and therefore it, it links back to the idea of authority. But this, this, the concept is, I'm so proud of, of me, my own uh, uh, authority, which I've given to myself through the ethereal, right? Nothing that's concrete, and I reject everyone else's authority, and then I mock anybody who's in authority. Anybody who has a position of glory, the glorious ones, whether whether the reference is to angels or not, it, the, the application to us is that there's an attitude of pride. There's an attitude of pride that, in essence, I am uh, somehow better, somehow more more. I have more wisdom. I have more. Um, I'm elevated. You know, I'm above. We're above the peon. So you have immorality, rebellion, pride. These are the things that mark the make-believer. These are the things I'm looking in the mirror for. In Obadiah, verse three, it says, "The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. Who say to your to your heart, or say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Who can judge me? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, through, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down," declares the Lord. The point is not a point of uh, the point is that your your elevation of self does not protect you from judgment, and nobody is excited about that. Nobody's going, "Yay, you get judged." It's a warning. You understand? It's not a. It's not a. You know, my dad's bigger than your dad. You know, and he's going to beat you up. You know, no. The point is that that your basing all of these choices defiling the flesh, rebelling against authority, uh, blaspheming the glorious ones, the pride, the rebellion the immorality, you're basing it all on something that's not solid not concrete, ethereal and God's saying man you are heaping up for yourself wrath for the day of judgment Ezekiel declares that that God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked doesn't mean the wicked aren't destroyed. It just means there's something He glories more than that. What does God glory more than the destruction of the wicked? When the wicked repent and live. When the wicked repent. When they'll turn. The warning is to say, man, we don't want to be in this place. We don't want to stay there. And now he's going to give us another illustration in verse 9. In verse 9 he says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing over the body of Moses. Now most people go, what? <clears throat> okay, you remember last time I introduced you to second temple period writings. The book of Enoch. Probably some of you have heard about it. The book of Enoch. It, it's, it's not scripture. It doesn't claim to be scripture. The point of the book of Enoch is it lets us into the mind of the people at the time of Christ. How did they see their world? Right? So, so we can kind of draw lines, make correlations to what, what did they think about how their world worked. Well, there's another one called the Testament of Moses that tells the story of Michael and the devil arguing over who gets the body of Moses. Because Moses, the devil said, is, was a sinner. And because he was a sinner, you don't get his body. You can't have his body. And Michael, he has the most authority of all the angels. He's the archangel, right? The the archangel, he's the only one who's called an archangel. We can all say, oh, there's multiple archangels, but you just can't do it from the Bible. So from the Bible, Michael's the archangel, which means he's over them all, which would include Satan, right? He's over them all, has more authority than all of them. And when the devil is arguing with Michael in the story in the Testament of Moses, when they're arguing about who gets the body, Michael did not appeal to his own authority. He appealed to the authority of God. He said, the Lord, judge. He said, God's in charge. The reason you don't get him is not because I'm going to argue with you, devil. You don't get him because God said you don't get him. Do you get it? He did not make an appeal based on who he was, on something ethereal, on the authority that he had, and said, well, devil, by my authority, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't, he didn't make that appeal. He said, he said look, uh, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord judge you. He's not assuming or, or leaning into the authority that he had. He's leaning into the authority that God has. Remember when I tell you, when I say that the Word of God is the final arbiter, how can I say that? Because the Word of God is God's words given to us, not my words. The final authority is not my interpretation. The final authority is God's Word. And so when we have a difference of opinion about things, just like the round table, we sit in a circle and we discuss the things around the table, and we try to come to a solution, but we all agree in the same thing. The Word of God is right. Now, we have to align ourselves with it, right? And so the example given is, Michael, the archangel, the most powerful of all the heavenly beings, relies on the power of God. Why shouldn't you? If the most powerful of all the heavenly beings relies on the power of God and on His authority in judging things, why wouldn't we? Why, why shouldn't that be the attitude that we have as well? Now, what happens? It says, but, but is in strong contrast, in, st- in strong contrast to Michael relying on the authority of God, these people, okay, we're coming back around to talk about the, the make-believers, these people who are walking in uh, sexual immorality, who say that the word of God doesn't have authority over their life. It says, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. The word blasphemy means to speak against. To speak against what they do not understand. This is probably one of the biggest issues in the church. Is it ever possible in all the crazy things that you hear about that's going on in the church that you don't know everything? Is that ever possible? Because there's a lot of people who will make judgments based on decisions from a group of six men who are full of the Holy Spirit seeking the wisdom of God to guide the the body of the church or however many men someone else may have and you hear about a decision or something that they do and you are quick to judge the decision but is it possible you don't have all the facts? Why would they do this to them? Why would they say that to that? Why would they allow this over here? The scripture lays out for them, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They don't have all the facts, but they're making judgments. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. They're relying on their instinct. When when I think about that, relying on my instinct, the thing that immediately springs out of me that's instinctual still is my emotion. I get mad because I get mad because maybe I think you're you're attacking me or maybe I think you're attacking my wife, or maybe I think you know whatever you fill in the gaps right, and then our instinct kicks in and our emotions kicked in and and we want to respond and and maybe we don't really understand what's going on. What if we just slow down and talk to each other and listen for a change? isn't that okay? <clears throat> what if we did what? What, what the Word of God said, and we, we loved each other, and rather than jumping to evil intent, we pressed into the fact that we love each other, and why don't we sit down and talk about it? Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. But these guys, it says, these guys, not like Michael, pressing into what does God's Word say, uh, they're saying these people are, are pressing into their emotion, Their instincts. And they're using their instincts to, to dispute. To dispute whatever's going on. Whatever the thing is. Whatever's going on. Is it, is it possible that if I knew everything that they knew, I might feel different? Is it possible if I had experienced the same things they experienced? In theological terms, there's this idea called the noetic effect of sin. Which, which is a word that has no meaning, really. But it makes you sound smart. So the noetic effects of sin is this, that the fall has affected every area of me. right? As a human being, my emotions are affected by the fall, my reasoning is affected by the fall, my attitudes are affected, everything about me is affected by the fall into sin. Does that make sense? So because because of that noetic effect of sin, because that affects every part of me, then I can't always rely on my instinct or my, the things that pop up in my mind. I can't just assume that I am capable of being the authority. That's why I need some authority to stand on. An authority that doesn't change. An authority that doesn't shift. An authority that I can say, oh yeah, here it is, right here. I can hold on to this. I can lay a hold of it. Not my instincts. I need something more stable. Stable. That's why we say the Word of God is the final arbiter. Whatever it says, that's it. The, the problem is most of the things we have the biggest problem with are not difficult to interpret, right? They say things pretty plain. Usually we don't like what they say. Don't it make sense? You know, some things that we doubt, though we don't make those rules. We we try to we search for wisdom and understanding. I'm not worried about those. I'm worried about the things we do understand. Right? Do you understand what this means? Love your enemies. What about this? Do good to those who despitefully use you. What? Is that hard to understand? I can say it slower. No, we know what that un- We know, right? right? We know what that means. So, so we don't want to, we don't want to give ourselves a pass. We want to take the Word of God and we want the Word of God to transform us, right? Change me. Because nothing in me wants to do those things. But, but if I will, if I will surrender and submit myself to the Lordship of Christ, right? Then, then I'll do what He says. And when I don't, I'll, I'll be repentant, right? Oh man, I didn't do that right. I'm sorry. Which really makes our arguments easy. Wait. You know, if, if, if somebody comes up to me and goes, Jackie, you really offended me when you, when you did this rude thing. And I say, oh man, I'm not supposed to be rude. Uh, the Word of God doesn't give me the pass to just be rude to people anytime I want to. So then I am a man who's willing to be in a, a submission to the Word of God. So then I say, wow, you know what? I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. Please forgive me. And then I go to the Lord and I tell God, I'm sorry I failed. Will you forgive me and God forgives me and they forgive me and we're good. But we don't do that. We just start to build up our little armies where we talk about how somebody else hurt us or what somebody else did. Which is not what God says, right? God says if you've got a problem with somebody, do what? Take it to your brother. Take it to your brother. I get a lot of calls and usually my first question is, have you talked to them? And usually the first answer is no, I'm talking to you. I'm like hitting the nuke button, right, for your problems, just so you know. If you call me, you're nuking it. <laughs> ah, we'll get him. We'll hit him with Jackie. Maybe let's just try talking first. Yeah? You get what I mean? We want to try to talk, we want to try to work our way through it, okay? So we don't want to be those who blaspheme what we don't understand. <clears throat> that, that we become destroyed by our unreasoning, being run by our emotions and our instincts. Look what he says in verse 11 Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain. Here's our three examples. They walk in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So what does it mean? Woe to them, they walked in the way of Cain. The way of Cain is jealousy. Jealousy is the way of Cain. Genesis 4, 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? They both brought an offering to the Lord. Right? One was accepted, the other was rejected. And Cain's was rejected, and so he's bummed. Now the only requirement at the time, we don't have Genesis, or we're just writing Genesis. We don't have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The sacrificial was not built. All we know for sure is that there must have been some type of sacrifice, right? Because Adam and Eve got clothed, and God clothed them and somehow Cain and Abel were bringing offerings. So the, all the scripture all the scripture I think would demand of this is that you were giving of your best. So Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering. One was accepted, the other wasn't. Maybe Cain was keeping the best back for himself. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible just says it was rejected. So Cain was or Abel was accepted and so Cain looks at Abel and's like, "Man, God likes you better than He likes me. You're getting more authority, or you're getting more opportunity than I'm getting. I, I, I did. I brought good stuff. You know, I, I should have the same thing that they have. In the Gospel of John, we're introduced to this this time when when Jesus says to Peter, Peter, after he after he welcomes him back, right? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You guys remember the story? And then Peter says, Yea, Lord, yea, Lord. So we get through that. He's been reaffirmed, right? Peter's welcome back in. And then Jesus says, Peter, the day is going to come when men are going to take hold of you, take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to, in essence, he's describing, they're going to nail you to a cross. And the Scripture of John says, this Jesus told Peter about the way he was going to die. So Jesus told Peter, before he died, you're going to be crucified. You remember the next thing Peter did? He looked over at John and said, well, what about him? i got to get crucified. He better get something bad. <laughs> right? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, what's it to you if I want him to stay alive until I return? I'm asking you to follow me, Peter. Sometimes we look at what other people have, right? Like that's the way it came. We look at what other opportunities people get. We look at whatever other things are happening for them. And we get filled with jealousy. And I want us to hear what God's words were to to Cain, because we need to hear them. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? If you do well, you will be accepted. What is our ultimate goal? Is our ultimate goal to, to be able to say, I've lived a life wherein the Lord will declare to me, well done, good and faithful servant, or is my goal to beat my neighbor? i got to have a nicer car, a faster bike, uh, uh, whatever, whatever thing, whatever ways we compete. But is, is that what the Word of God is calling us to? To be in competition? If you do well, you'll be accepted. You'll be accepted. Listen, and if you do not do well, listen, sin is crouching at the door. That's a description of a lion ready to pounce. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to rule you, contrary to you. Sin wants to destroy you. But you must rule over it. So God told Cain, hey, I see it. Jealousy, man, you're you're mad at your brother because your brother was accepted. We all know the story, right? Cain picks up a rock and kills his brother. Jealousy. They walk in the way of Cain, being driven by jealousy, by what other people have. I had to teach myself this, because I used to fall into the trap when somebody would get a new car. Do you guys ever do this? You, you say that it must be a nice thing? I hate when I do that. It must be nice. Shut up. <laughs> Man, don't do that. What should we do? Can't we be happy for somebody who's, who's had an opportunity or been blessed? So if they got something new, which we should hey man awesome I, I really try to go out of my way to, to be happy for whatever blessing God has given because it keeps us out of jealousy and the worst one is when it happens in ministry oh you got to teach how come I didn't get to teach you got some special thing you know there's, there's no conspiracy out there to keep you down man that's not happening God says sins crouching at the door ready to destroy you don't walk the way of Cain Cain killed his brother don't walk the way of Cain what's the second example Balaam do you know that Balaam is not a false prophet he's a wicked prophet he's a greedy prophet but he was not a false prophet interesting no Balaam he says he says the second example for the sake of gain don't walk in Balaam's error Balaam's error is he wants to get ahead he wants to get ahead. Look, he wanted the gold the king was offering him. The king's saying, look, look, come here. Come here, Balaam. God says, don't go. Balaam goes anyway. God says, sends an angel to kill him. His donkey stops, right? We remember the story? And, and Balaam keeps going, why I want to go. I really want to go because, man, he's offering to fill my house with gold. God says, go? can I please go? Can I please go? Can I please go? God says, okay. Don't say anything I don't tell you to say. Balaam says, oh, I won't, I won't, I promise. So he goes and the king takes him up on a the mountain. They're looking over the children of Israel. Now listen, this listen, is important. They're looking over the children of Israel. Listen, listen, Balaam wasn't a Jew. He'd have been down there. But he was a prophet of God. You know God's doing things you don't know about. So anyways, he, Balaam comes out. The king says, oh, look at all these people. You've got to curse them because they're big and I can't handle them. Look how big they are. And he looks over them. Yep, they're big. And so he says, okay, <clears throat> I'll, I'll try to curse them. So Balaam goes to curse them and bless him. And the king's like, dude, what was that? You just blessed them all. Yeah, I can only say what God tells me to say. You know, I'm a prophet. That's what we do. The king, king takes him to a different mountain. Well, maybe it's the mountain. We'll take you over to this mountain. Look down on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, there they are. Curse them. So he goes out to curse them. Blessing comes out. King's getting mad. What are you doing? You don't get to do this. So he goes, he takes them to the third mountain. And in the third mountain, blessing comes out. And the king says, yo, forget it. Pack your trash. Get out of here. I'm not giving you a dime. And, and then Balaam prophesies seven more blessings right then. Boom, 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 Right? Which are all blessings about the coming of Messiah. Which is pretty incredible if you read the uh, the blessings, the prophecies that Balaam gives. Which means he's prophesying truly, right? But then, he does what God told him not to do. He says, look, king. Here's what you need to do. Take the prettiest girls you have. Strip them. And put them out before the children of Israel they will be driven by their lust and they'll sin and God will judge them. And so the king did what Balaam said. And the children of Israel did what Balaam said they would. And 24,000 people died. So one man could have his house filled with gold. So walk the path of Balaam. Don't walk that road for greed, greedy for gain. Don't be that person. He's saying we don't want we don't, we to follow that. We don't want to be a part of that. Second Peter says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Whatever it takes to get ahead, right? Don't follow that way. That's the path of a make-believer. That's the path of a make-believer. The third example, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion, we talked about it last time, right? Moses and Aaron are leaving, and the people go, why is it you're in charge? "Uh, I don't know. We don't want to follow you. We don't like where you're taking us. We keep walking around in circles in a desert. You obviously don't know where you're going. So we're going to take over. So they have the contest, right? You remember I told you about the contest? God had Aaron's rod butted, so he he informed the people that his choice was Aaron, and Moses was the one to lead the people, and then you remember what happened next, right? The earth opened up and swallowed him. You know that the scriptures in the Old Testament, the scripture says, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. That seems like a harsh thing, right? Yeah, you should not have a diviner, somebody who's trying to use the dark arts. Yeah, that's bad. Keep them away. Don't do that. Then do you know the scripture says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? So, so how do you think God views someone who sows discord among brethren? Is that Okay. There's a great book, man, if you guys like to read books, there's a great book called The Tale of Three Kings. Which basically tells a story about what what kind of king are you. And the concept is that we all have a little bit of Saul in us. Saul's a a spear chucker, he's always trying to pin somebody to the wall, right? And then you have two other examples. You have David, and you have uh, Absalom. Remember what Absalom did? Absalom, he didn't like how his dad David was running things, so he walked around whispering to people, leading people, hey, I'd be a better king, hey, I'd be a better king, hey, I'd be a better king. And eventually he gets enough support to kind of you know, go to war against his dad. You know what his dad did? I love what his dad did. You know what his dad did? The armies are marching to Jerusalem. You know what David did? He said, you want the throne? Cheers. He just walked away he said i don't know what god wants but i know that my authority is derived from the lord and if god wants me to have it he'll he'll keep it do you believe that don't walk in the way of korah bringing rebellion walk in the way of david you remember when david was 16 they came over and they poured oil on his head and they said hey you're going to be king one day you remember you're anointed king i'm anointed king but there's a king already what's the king's name Saul, yeah, Saul's king. Well, you're anointing me, king? <clears throat> so so he decided right then to go get an army and go to war against Saul, right? Oh, no, that's not what he did? What did he do? Oh, he went and served Saul. Did you know that? He served him. You know, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. And David picked up that spear and, no, he didn't. What did he do? He just moved, ducked, ducked. Sorry. I just want to serve you, king. <laughs> He didn't pick up a spear and throw it back. He didn't do any of those things, right? What did he do? He he trusted in God's authority. If God anointed me king, then he'll make me king. I don't have to help. Isn't that what God did? Isn't that an amazing story? That's not the way of Korah. That's the way of Jesus Christ. Not walking in an attitude of rebellion. Verse 12. These people are... Hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Hidden reef, you know what that means? That means they're just under surface. They look like a spot. If you look down on the water, some of our translations say they're, they're spots in your love feast. The idea is that little, just a little bit of the rock is showing. You get what I'm saying? And you're coming by in a boat. That's not good, right? You ever hit a rock with a boat? I have. Motoring, dude! I was flying, just, whoosh, trying to get to a spot at Salmon Falls, in my boat, running as fast as that thing would go, which was pretty fast. It was okay, eighty horse, something like that. So it's it's going pretty good, fast enough that you don't want to hit a rock under the water, but I did. <laughs> a rock that was like one foot underwater, I drilled it with the bottom of the motor. That motor almost landed in my lap inside the boat. <laughs> Kicked it up in the air. It went all the summer. a there's an up and work. And it was a little spooky. And then I'm looking like this. Is there water? Coming in the boat? Is there water? No? Okay, we're okay. The motor wasn't okay, but everything else was okay. No, we don't want to be shipwrecked by hidden reefs. They want to shipwreck others. Make believers shipwreck people. Don't be a make-believer. Then he goes on. they are shepherds feeding themselves. What's the shepherd's job? Take care of the sheep, right? So this idea, shepherds feeding themselves, they're feeding on the flock. That's what it's talking about. They're eating sheep. What do you call that? What, what creature does that? A wolf, right? Yeah, you can tell someone's a sheep or a wolf by what they eat. Sheep don't eat sheep. Wolves do. Right? They're shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept around by winds. What's a waterless cloud? A waterless cloud is something that promises refreshment. Oh, it's so hot. Look, there's a cloud coming over. Looks like a rain cloud. It's going to rain on us. Oh, it would be so nice. Nope. Just blows around. Always promising refreshment, but never quite delivering. Waterless clouds clouds swept along pushed around by the winds of doctrine always wishy-washy they're fruitless trees in late autumn a fruitless tree late autumn there should have been fruit should be fruit all over the ground should be fruit everywhere but there's no fruit they don't have fruit fruit doesn't come why because they're twice dead and uprooted they have no life in them no life in them fruitless trees promise life but have none They are wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. A lot of motion, a lot of action. But all that's left behind is the foam of shame. Action doesn't equal, does not equal truth. Action just is action. Something's happening. Something's happening, but all that's coming up is shame, shame shame that's what's being brought up and then the last one they're wandering stars you know the Bible uses the phrase stars for angels it's interesting because there's several judgments and things that the Bible talks about here about angels and one of those judgments was angels which are typically the word for angel is is shining one so you're saying a shining one is re- reserved for gloomy darkness a shining one by by their being ought to want to be in the light right But these are wandering stars. They're not in the light, they're wandering. They're not Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but the stars aren't aren't in. A wandering star is is not in orbit around the sun, around the light. A wandering star is trying to find their own way. And all they will ever be is in the dark. And so this is what he's saying wandering stars for whom the judgment of eternal darkness is left. Verse 14, he says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. <clears throat> Jesus said, to, uh, or The Lord said to Moses, Hey, Moses, why are you upset? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me right they're rejecting me sometimes the choices we make when we are rebelling against authority when we are walking after gain when we're making the choices of the make believers where we're we're, well let me ask you this when when you're spreading division among the body of Christ and, and the body of Christ is divided who bleeds whose body is it That's Jesus' body, isn't it? Why do you think God the Father said, I hate people who cause division? I hate them. Because when you divide the body of Christ, Jesus is the one who's bleeding. Right? We're supposed to be united. Right? We don't always get along, but we ought to always be willing to come together. No? To to forgive one another? Even as... God in Christ forgave us. Isn't that supposed to be our attitude? Those who are walking in truth and reality. But he says these in verse 16. These are grumblers and malcontents. And never happy. You ever met somebody who always has something to complain about? Man, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. My wife will never be that. She's always little Miss Sunshine. She is the most Pollyanna person. You guys ever seen Pollyanna? yeah she is Pollyanna for real and the day when she's not Pollyanna you don't want to be around me <laughs> because, because really in the wisdom of God uh, he led me to, to Kathy as my wife because that's what I need so when I got people who, who are more pessimistic like I am around me drive me crazy I like happy that's why I married Kathy so, and if I have a bad day where everybody's upset about something at, at work, and then I come home and Kathy's upset, it's not going to be good for the dog. <laughs> <clears throat> Somebody's got to pay for all that, right? We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be. We don't want to be grumblers, malcontents, following our own sinful desires, loud-mouthed bo- boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. I always worry about people who who are always pumping me full of sunshine. Right? Because I'm like, what what do you want? <laughs> you know, I'm not I mean, I'm 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 great. We just being honest is cool if, if something blesses you, praise God, that's great, you know, but but you you guys know the kind of people, right? Like I, somebody will be grumbling about everything else, but then they'll come tell me. But but not you. Oh no, that, that's just because I'm standing here. If I left, it had been I'd have been in that group too. Right? You know what I mean? So we want to we want to we want to we want to do what he's going to tell us next. Right? We don't want to be these things: showing favoritism, trying to get ahead this way. So how do we avoid all this? Here's the here is the. The, the part we really want to be able to sink our teeth into. But you must remember, beloved. Not like these people. Now he's addressing the real believers. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. Remember they said these times would come. They said to you, in these last days, <clears throat> there would be scoffers. Following their own passions. So he's saying, this is what's happening. These are the things that are going on. So what does he want us to do? But you, beloved. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh he's calling us to be controlled by the spirit not controlled by our emotions that's different right? Being controlled, led by the Spirit of God. Look, I want to, I want to follow God's Spirit. God's Spirit, he, he's, gonna, he's going to guide me, He's going to lead me. I want to stand in the love of God. I don't want to be like the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, right? That had left their first love, you had abandoned, they had abandoned the love that they had in the beginning. And then we want to be waiting on the mercy of Jesus, confident in His return. We're looking for His return because that's the mercy of Jesus when He comes, when He delivers His people. I want to be ready for that. And then I want to be concerned about others. And that's this whole section that He lays out for. We want to read it like this. On one hand, convict people. You see somebody, you know, doing something that they ought not do? On one hand... Be convicting, rebuke, use the Word of God, stand on the authority of God, and share the truth on them. On the other hand, save them. You're trying to pluck them out of the fire, right? You're not trying to shove them down. It's not a judgmental thing, it's a salvation thing. Man, we're trying to... This is this is an attempt to save, to help. On one hand, convict. On the other hand, save. On the other hand, be merciful. Right? Because everybody I look at that I come to with a rebuke from the Word of God, I see a little of me in. Right? No? We want to be able to be merciful toward them. Second Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.2 says, To preach a word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. Yeah, uh, that's the rub. Complete patience in teaching. We want to do what we can for others, to help others, right? We want to have mercy on those who doubt. Why? Because we've been doubters. We want to save people who are perishing in the fire. Why? Because we don't want to perish in the fire. To others, we want to show mercy with fear. We want to be merciful to them. Even though the touching of the garment, even though the garment stained by the flesh, we don't, we don't want to act like that. We don't want to have these attitudes in us, but we want to have an attitude of mercy, We want to do all this because we believe in what God can do. That's the last two verses. Why do we want to do this? Why do we want to choose love and mercy and correction and all those things? Why do we want to try to reach out and help people that are perishing? Why do we want to be a part of that even if it's a make-believer in our midst? Why do we want to do all that? Because... Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Because I believe what God can do. God will keep me from stumbling. And who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. I don't get blameless because of what I did. I get blameless because of what he's done. Right? I'm blameless because of my association with Christ Jesus. Not because I became perfect. I'm blameless because I follow the way. I'm blameless because He makes me blameless. I'm not stumbling because He makes me able to stand. And it's His great joy... And so what is my response? I believe in what God can do, so I rely on Him to keep me from stumbling, to present me blameless before the Father, to help me to walk in the Spirit, to minister to people who are stumbling and make-believe, and I can call them to repentance. He's, I need to rely on Him for all of that, and that reliance on Him ought to lead me to praise. Isn't that what happened? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Rely on Him and praise Him for His deliverance of you. And that will help you have mercy when you are looking at someone else that needs correction. It will enable you to correct in love, to speak the truth in love. Isn't that vital? The truth without love is brutal. The Word of God, He calls us to speak the truth in love. That means our desire is to see restoration. Our desire is to see repentance. Our desire is to see someone lifted up so that they can proclaim with us their reliance on Jesus Christ because He keeps me from stumbling. Their reliance on Jesus Christ because He's the one who presents me to the Father. Their reliance on Him leads them to praise for He's the only God, our Savior. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray father god we thank you for the opportunity we have just come together and to study your word lord and i just pray god that we recognize here you're calling us to look into the mirror to recognize what's in me and sometimes when i recognize what's in me i can i can see it in others maybe i can be a word of encouragement maybe i can be a word of exhortation but before i can be any of those things i have to Examine myself and see that I'm in the faith. Yes, Lord, I believe. It's not me, it's not my efforts that make me able not to fall it's you who makes me able not to fall it's not my efforts that presents me blameless before the father it's you who present me blameless before the father my job is to look at you keep my eyes on christ and to follow you just like you said to peter so what if what what my life has is different than what other people's lives have god you're calling me to follow you regardless doesn't matter you follow me. You follow me. You follow me. So help me get my eyes off of everyone else. Help me not walk in an attitude of complaining. Keep me from the errors of Cain and Balaam and Korah. Because don't. those things are not how I learned Christ Jesus. I want to walk in the ways of Jesus my Lord. When I see him, I want him to say, not nah, why did you call me Lord? You never listened to me. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I was sinless, not because I was perfect, but because I had a heart like David that would come before my God with a broken heart when I failed and seek his forgiveness. Didn't pretend I was something other than what I am. I'm a man saved by grace. I was blind, now I see. You have given me victory over death. I didn't earn it. God, you are worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. You are worthy. And you're the answer for all the conditions of our world, all the things going on. It's you. It's you. And it's when God's people will fall down and say, God, I am not worthy. I am not Something gorgeous and beautiful and amazing. I'm a wretch, God, but you, when I'm connected to you, when you are working in my life, then I become something altogether different. I become someone who can follow Jesus in loving my enemies. I become someone who cares about what the Word of God says and wants to apply that in their life. I become someone who's governed by an authority greater than all authorities. And I bow the knee. You are my king. I will follow you. To the end. To the utmost. And I thank you and I praise you for what you've accomplished in me. Because I humbled myself, Lord. Your word declares that I will lift you up. You bow the knee to me. You bow the knee to the Lord. And he comes over and he lifts you up. He puts his hand under your chin. And he calls you child. He looks into your eyes. And he says I've been waiting for this day. So excited that you're here with me. Can't wait to show you. What's next. Man Lord. May we not cheapen that. May we not despise it and cast it away may we just die to ourselves and the lies our mind tells us and the lies our emotions tell us and hold fast to something greater for you are worthy in Jesus name we pray amen